Good morning. How's everybody doing today? My name's Pastor Dwight. If you're new here, Dwight, if you don't want to say pastor. I found out over the years serving in different communities, some people have to put pastor before your name, particularly if they've been in the military. It's just like, and they're the ones that give you the sir from time to time. I'm like, no, no, it's just a question. You don't have to say yes, sir. Okay, sir. Like, okay. It's, it's your world, and I will enter into it. Um, we are dealing, we've been going through the book of Corinthians. We will, um, and this week, if you have kids, this one does, if I asked the group last week, I said, just read Corinthians 6, and if you think it's, you're fine with your kids coming, fine, and so I just want you to know, it deals with some, some more adult topics that were taking place in the church. So um, you might have to, I'm going to try to do my very best to do a PG version, but there, there are a couple words that you might get questioned about, okay? Is that all right? Uh, we do a kids' ministry. If you want to get your kids involved in the kids' ministry, it's not too late, Rebecca, is it? It's never too late. It's never too late, okay. And uh, so that's, that, that's the little warning. Is it enough warning? So, Okay. Uh, we're going to pray, and then, I'm gonna, and then we're going to launch into this wonderful topic. So, Lord, I just ask for your grace uh, to unpack your word for my heart, for the heart of your people here. And we could learn from you, we could grow, that your spirit would uh, deposit that which you want to deposit within our souls today. In Christ's name, amen. So I think one of the best ways, and I used this last week, to begin to understand the book of Corinthians is, is if you're like going on a, a trip to a foreign country. Because it's very different. And the culture is very different. And I, I remember we, uh, we did, if you don't know a little bit about my life, we, were minist- we did ministry in Europe. We lived in Europe for a number of years. And when we were living in the Netherlands, we used to have this, this musician come. I think he lived up in uh, the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I don't know how he connected to Holland, but he did. And, and he was fun. This guy was a jazz guitarist, a pop guitarist, a phenomenal guitar player. And he could work a crowd. And he knew one of the top two or three hits from every year from like 1955 all the way to present. And so he would get up and, and he would go, okay, give me a year. And somebody would go, 1969. He goes, okay. And from memory, he would launch into one of the top hits for that year. And he just, he worked the room that way the whole time. It was so fun. People would raise their hand. They, and de- depending, you know, your age, he could do it. He could do it all the way. He would learn the songs from that year, what were the top songs, and he could play them. It was, so it was a lot of fun. And then after people listened to him for a while, he would go, hey, okay, can I play some of my stuff? And he'd earn the right to play some of his stuff. His stuff was never as good as the pop stuff, but it was still good. He was a Christian artist. And, uh, and, and so sometimes when he would come into town, he would stay at our house because when he would play in the Netherlands, the, he would play in churches or they'd play in bars, and he would stay in people's homes. And I always remember something he told me because the Dutch people, they, did, they would do something called a bread meal. And we said, what is a bread meal? Bread meal is they would put, um, my grandma called them cold cuts. They would put uh, cheese and different kinds of meat out and, and then one or two kinds of bread. So there's three kinds of breads. And you would take a piece of bread and you would put it 
on your, your plate. Sometimes you buttered, sometimes you wouldn't. And you would put like a piece of cheese on it, a piece of meat on it. But you wouldn't make a sandwich. You'd take a knife and a fork and you would cut it and eat it. And there was a, a bread meal. And he, and he said he, he was playing in part, a part of the country and he was staying at this guy's house. And, um, and he took a piece of cheese and he put it on the bread and he took a piece of meat and he put it on the bread. And the guy says, we don't mix our meat and cheese in this home. And so he had to peel back one of those because if he wanted cheese, he had to put on another piece of bread so he could have cheese on there. And I was like, wow, and that, like, that's, that's a different culture. And I remember in, in the Netherlands when we first got there, you know, if you, you sat at a table and there was a plate of cookies, in America it's like, that means you can have a cookie. In Holland, it means you don't touch those cookies until they pick them up and offer them to you, and you only take one. You don't take two until they offer them again. Now, you, you're laughing at this, and I want you to laugh at this, because this is the kind of thing that doesn't make sense to you as an American, right? It, it doesn't make sense. And when we read the book of Corinthians, we're going back 2,000 years to a culture that was crazy different than the culture we live in. And... and we need to understand that because it's very difficult to understand the book of Corinthians because we take our culture and we put it in right now and we react to it given our present political and, and uh, sort of divisive kind of world we live in. I'm going, no, 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 no. That, this, you don't understand. They weren't having those battles. They, they were people that were coming to faith in a culture uh, that was very different than our, our culture. And the Apostle Paul was saying, hey, if you want to be the church, this is how you live. So last week we talked about a, a person having a relationship with their stepmom. And the church celebrated it. You're like, that's weird. Yeah, that's weird. And, and the funny thing is the Apostle Paul, even in the crazy Corinthian culture, they go... Even your culture doesn't accept what you're doing. And so he says, you got to deal with this. Look what, look what he says here. He starts by saying, oh, I think I left my thing over there. I don't know, Rebecca, could you have somebody toss it to me? Um, there we go. He, he, he starts by talking about conflict. How do you deal with conflict in the church? And uh, thank you. <laughs> Are you guys like me? You forget things on a regular basis. Never. Like I pulled up today, the church today, and I'm like, I forgot my backpack. I forgot my Bible, and I'm the pastor. You know, like. And, and then you wonder, does that mean this Sunday's just going to drop a lead balloon? I mean, let's be honest. You know, like, what do you? How many of you love the Apple Pay? Because when you forget your wallet, you're like, oh, I can still buy it, right? Yeah, are you like me? You, you remember your phone before your wallet? Come on, how many of you guys are like that? Yeah, okay. 
let's get back to lawsuits among believers. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this passage, and this is the Apostle Paul dealing with conflict in this baby church. And he says this, and if you want, pull it up in your phone, pull it up in your Bible. We actually have extra Bibles if you want to. We're in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he says this, If any of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare to take it before an ungod- the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? That was interesting. We, we've been dealing with this in our small group. And one person said, hey, I found an old commentary that says th- this means that Christians will judge demons. Because people see demons as fallen angels. I'm like, well, there's an interesting take on that. Um, if you have more insight into that one, please tell me, because I only have that insight, okay? Um, that means there's not a lot of comment on this outside of this passage, okay? So when you have that, you don't want to develop large doctrines because you only have a, a, short, a small passage. So how much more things in this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do not ask for a ruling from those whose ways of life are scorned in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a disputed matter between believers? But instead, one brother takes another brother to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. Unbelievers, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. So the Apostle Paul is, is uh, really really coming down on them for, for uh, having lawsuits and then treating it just like anything else, okay? So he's setting up a precedent within the church to say, church, could you solve these things yourselves? Can you solve these things yourself? I mean, you're supposed to be the new community that God is forming, and you can't figure out how to deal with conflict. Now, I'm going to make a couple caveats because I want to shift to present day, okay? So when the historically churches have dealt with abuse at times, okay? Um, these are times where you don't want to handle them yourself, okay? I remember there was a guy years ago in Portugal and he he was a military guy. We were, we were the only church near a NATO base. They didn't have a chaplain, so we ended up being sort of an officer's church, an admiral. I was high-fluting people, and I, I tell people it was so funny because we would do church softball games afterwards. We would meet at a, a British international school for a church, and then we had some, some fields there. And I always remember the, guy, the one guy is like, sorry, sir, and he's apologizing as he's tagging him out because he's a superior officer and he doesn't want to offend, you know? And I'm like, oh, this whole military softball thing gets really complicated because you, he, this guy can deal with you really bad at work if he gets mad at you. So as you tag him out, you're apologizing and calling him sir. So I just always remember that. Well, uh, we had a guy that came to me, and he said, he said, I always go to churches where they wear suits. 
because I believe you need to dress up for God. I'm like, oh. And you can see I agree with that. I wore a sweater today. And I'm being sarcastic. Uh, but he said when he came to our church, because we, we planted churches that were like, come as you are. Uh, he said, my daughter was abused in our last church. And I'm willing to give another church a try. In certain cases, you don't handle them. You turn them over to authorities. Okay? When I came here, I had a guy, uh, because when we started the Learning Center, I'm a, I am a obligate, what do you call it? A, a mandatory reporter. I know what I'm supposed to do, I just don't know what to call it. And um, a guy was in this church, he looked at me and said, I'm leaving this church because you're a mandatory reporter. I'm like, oh, bye. I mean, I've only been to church a couple weeks. That's weird, isn't it? You look, at, I see your looks. This is real. And then not log into it, I had a guy that started coming to me and he started telling me things. I'm like, oh, crap. Why does this have to happen to me? I'm just a new pastor in this church. He had, uh, he had been telling me stories of abuse. And I'm just like, God, I don't want to deal with this. But I have to. So I make the phone call, call the police. And uh, the good news was is there was already a case file against him. And I got a call from an angry relative yelling at me for making the phone call. And it was right in the middle of a really nice lunch with a person in the church at a really nice restaurant. And it was just awful. It was just awful. But I got to tell the relative, look, it wasn't just on me. This, there's a case file already opened. And, and the person ended up doing time. So the principal is, is, is very real. And it's like, can't we get along in the church Aren't there people wise enough to handle problems? But there are certain problems you need to bring other people in because they, they just shouldn't take place. Does that make sense? And so this is not a justification for uh, hiding sin within the community. It's you just have to do it. But the, but the Apostle Paul says, when there are disputes among you, can't you try to solve them among yourselves? And I think, I can't remember, it was last week I brought up Matthew 18, 15, where Jesus says, if, you have, if somebody sins against you or has an ought against you, go to them, talk to them. And, and, and the reality is, is most problems can be solved one-on-one. -on -one. Because what do we do typically? What's our human nature? Our human nature is to be offended and then tell somebody else about our offense, right? Rather than picking up a phone, having a conversation, and going, boy, I never knew that. And look, I've been married for 38 years. I can tell you that when somebody says something, or my wife says something, or she says, you said this, I'm like, no, no, I said this. No, no, you said that. I go, no, you took a different meaning. No, am I the only one that this happens to? And so it, offenses take place, and you don't even mean them to t for them to take place. You say something, and it's taken wrong, and then they run with their meaning, and then you're like, well, this thing spun out of control. Why didn't you just say it back to me? 
And that's a huge part of our grievances in the church. People get offended. Last week I had so much fun joking about um, people not coming and being late. And I did offend somebody, and I apologized, and I just said, I'll be honest with you, if I wasn't the pastor, I think I would have slept in. You know, for some reason, last week's hour change just whacked me out. I don't know why, but it was, it's, I've been oversleeping all week. So, um, try to solve it from within. And what I loved about this person in the church, they, they brought it right to me. They didn't do anything. They just brought it right to me, and I could say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Done. Done. That's how we solve things. Let's go to, to the uh, harder passage. Um, developing a kingdom lifestyle. Let me read a little bit more about what the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul identified these people as wrongdoers because of the lawsuits. And then he goes on and says this. Or do you not know that wrongdoers, like these people that he was talking about, will not inherit the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is what Jesus preached. Jesus preached the kingdom of God, that there was the kingdom that was coming into this world through Christ that was inaugurated by him, but will be consummated when he comes again. So we live in the age of what I call the overlap, the kingdom being both now, spiritually, but not yet, physically, when Christ comes again. So he says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So, I told you it's going to be like going to another country. We live in a world right now that is, it has, a, has a cultural war going on. We have the LGBTQ movement. And, and, and if you, if you uh, read even certain passages of scriptures that people will consider you a, a, a hater, right? Let me, let me paint a different picture. Not a picture of 2,000 years of the church and then Christianity coming and people having all sorts of laws and then the world moving to more of a post-Christian environment. Let me paint you the picture of Corinthians. They had temples to worship at. Part of the worship was having temple prostitution. I like to joke like, oh, little Johnny's becoming a teenager and getting very religious. You know, he's going to temple on a regular basis. Do I have to spell that one out? Okay, um, they, I, I read you a passage, uh, or I quoted, I quoted you, not quoted, but I, I described a passage last, last week that was similar to some of the culture we found in Portugal where you had a person talked about having their wife for one purpose and their mistresses for another purpose and their concubines for another purpose, and, they, and this was sort of accepted. Pedophilia was accepted within this culture. Homosexuality was a part accepted within this culture of Rome in Corinthians. So you, you have to say that there was a very different cultural environment. And, and the Apostle Paul came and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. People experienced Jesus. They came to faith in Jesus. And, and he was saying, hey, look what you were. And look what Jesus has done for you. And I, I'm teaching you how to live as a new creation 
and develop a new kingdom culture. Can, can you begin to put those, those ears on? Can you begin to see it that way? Because you, if you see it with our 2,000 years, then you're going to react to certain things depending on your views. And it's not, it's not there to react to. It's there to understand, oh, so this is what God was doing in the lives of that baby church. And he was developing a new kingdom culture. And he wasn't just doing it from nowhere. He, he was doing it out of what Jesus did for them. Look, look at this. He says, and that's what some of you were. And if you, if you know some of, these, some of these things he talks about, he, say, he says, uh, idolaters, adulterers, drunkards. You know, it's interesting, the, the word adulterers in this passage can have two meanings. It can have the meaning of having sexual relations outside of marriage, but it also can have the meaning of your unfaithfulness towards God. I thought that would get you a little quiet. And the passage is not designed for you to develop some list of do's and don'ts. The passage is designed to say, here, here are the rails of living in Christian community, and these are outside the rails. Slanderers. God cares about our tongue. God cares about the, the things we put into our body. Swindlers, thieves. When he, he names these, he's, he's obviously saying that these were a part of the culture. Remember, I I'll tell you one other fun little story. Um, when we moved to Portugal, uh, I got to know different people. And, and uh, this one guy had been, um, he moved there and did Christian ministry. And he, uh, he married a Portuguese gal. And he, he produced a gospel group and a, a girl, that, a woman named Sarah Tavares. And she won like the first American Idol in Portugal. But it wasn't American Idol, it was Portuguese Idol. And she sang with this gospel group. She actually sang at some of our services. She was phenomenal. She, you can Google her and still listen to her music. And, and um, so he became famous. And so he was one of the judges on the Portuguese Idol. And uh, wonderful believer, lovely man. And, and he, uh, he said to me one time, he goes, well, he goes, even among the Portuguese, if, he says, Portuguese Christians, if your word means everything that you mean it to, they consider you a bit naive. You see, because if I'm going to pick on Mike and Don, Mike and Don's house, and I've got this uh, appointment, and something comes up, and I, I tell them the truth, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to make up a story for why you're late. Well, isn't that a lie? Well, that's what this guy was saying, that if you always are just speaking the truth, they consider you naive. 
I I say this because, again, we're moving into a different culture. And when you talk about swindlers and and drunkards and and and, and slanderers, greedy, you know, it's like these things were a part of the Corinthian culture. And God was saying, I've got a new culture, a new kingdom I'm wanting you to enter into. And I think it's so easy to to understand this when you start with the end in mind. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. And the only way that you and I can understand this new culture is through this new experience of being washed, being justified, being set apart being deeply loved by God. I remember years ago, my, my son had a radical conversion and uh, just, you know, deliverance and baptism in the spirit and just, I mean, just boom. And, he, and, uh, and it wasn't at my hand. My one daughter, who's crazy prophetic, went out and prayed for him and it was like, wow, you know, it's, I can't take any credit, nor can we ever take credit. But he said to me years later, he said, if it wasn't for that experience, I wouldn't still be a believer. And, and what he was saying is, what if the Holy Spirit hadn't come in and take up residence within me, I wouldn't be a believer. Because so many times we want to take Christianity and make it just a mental ascent. And a mental ascent is not enough to change a life or to change a heart. He's talking about something that happens by the Holy Spirit. You've been washed. You've been set apart. You've been justified. Justified means that you and I have sinned. We've done wrong. And there's no one who hasn't. And because of the cross of Christ, God threw down the gavel and said, forgiven, justified. And it doesn't matter, doesn't matter what you've done. I have forgiven you. I have justified you. And he did it by the Spirit of God. So God wants us to develop these new communities and to live in these new communities. And first he says, try to solve the problems yourself. And the second he says, as you want to live for Christ, let it start with the work he has done in you. Not by some law or obligation, but by the Spirit. And now we're going to get to the hard passage. Developing a kingdom culture with your body. Developing a kingdom culture with your body. Um, I, mean, I just have to read this. Again, warning, Will Robinson. Okay, anyway. Oh, no, man, no one here was raised on Lost in Space. I'm old. Okay, there we go. Um, I was making a joke in our small group, and I said, you're my Ed McMahon. And uh, people laughed, and I go, most people would not understand that these days. Verse 12 says this, and if you're following along, he says, oh, and I read it because I print it out because my eyes, I get old, so it's easier for me to read this than the Bible, if you're just wondering. So um, I have the right to do anything, Paul says. You say, but he goes, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but, not, I will, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take a member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside his body. But whoever sins sexually against, whoever sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So uh, this, is a, this is a challenging passage because it says so much about um, our bodies. And, and I've avoided, I, I told our small group, I've avoided talking on this passage for years because it's not an easy one. And it's not just that it's not easy because of the topic. It's really difficult to understand the logic that the Apostle Paul is writing with. It, it, and, and so finally, I spent, I've spent all week, you know, wrestling and trying to really get a handle on what is being said here and how does the passage tie together and support the argument that the apostles making. And it, and it says this, and this is what, and you can disagree with my interpretation, but I'll give you my sense of, and, and not just my sense, I agree with, there's one of the best commentaries written by Gordon Fee, and so I, I fully agree with what uh, Fee's take on this passage. And he says this, I have the right to do anything. The Apostle Paul is quoting a slogan that was true within that church. They were claiming, I have the right to do anything. And then he reacts to that, so he's, he's stating their slogan and saying, but not everything is beneficial. And then he goes on, another slogan that they live by, I have the right to do anything. And then he responds, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then their statement that they make and they use, food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. And then later on, they also have been saying all other sins a person commits are outside his body. They, so follow this with me. There was a view that they were espousing that basically I, my body is meant, I can eat something, it passes through me, I'm, I have a right, I can do anything I want because I have freedom in Christ. What I do in my body doesn't matter. Every other sin a person commits is outside his body. It's like it's, my sins don't affect my body. Would that preach? And Paul is saying, no. No. So they were basically thinking that they could do anything with their body and it doesn't matter because it doesn't affect their spirit. And the Apostle Paul is going to do something here that's going to be radical. And he says, he says this, rather than disvaluing the body, the Apostle Paul is valuing the body. 
He's saying that vessel that you carry matters. And the first thing he ties it into is he ties it into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, don't you know that we will be resurrected just like Christ was resurrected in this body? His bodies are not unimportant. In fact, our bodies are a part of the end times. And I, I remember preaching this at a funeral one time, and the person, the, the person who played organ here was like, where did you get that? I'm like, that's the Christian hope. We're not meant to be disembodied spirits floating around for eternity. That someday Christ will come again and it says there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and we will have new bodies because Jesus was called the prototype, the firstborn from among the dead, that his body, his resurrected body, we aren't going to be God, but we will have a resurrected body like Christ. And when I preached that, she, she didn't believe me. And then a few months later, we saw her again and she goes, oh, I, I bought this book by Randy Elcord, and I read it, and I agree with you now. And I was like, oh, because, like, I'm a nobody, but Randy wrote a book. <laughs> it's a good book uh, on, on heaven and the future. And so Apostle Paul starts to drive the argument home that the body is important because we're going to have a resurrected body, that Jesus' body was resurrected. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. But he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he, he, he drives it home. And he says, and when, when after this, he says, all other sin a person commits is outside his body. He goes on and says, don't you know that your body's a temple? Now, if you've been reading this book in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, you yourselves gathered are the temple of God, the place where the Spirit of God dwells now. And when you gather, sometimes when you gather, you have a sense of the Holy Spirit that's different than when you're by yourself. And that's supposed to be that way. But he doesn't just say you yourselves together are the Holy Spirit. He says this one, you individually are a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you get washed, when you are justified, when you are sanctified, God gives you the Holy Spirit and you are carriers in your bodies of the Holy Spirit. Do you get what he did to them? They said, I can do anything in my body because it doesn't touch my spirit. And the Apostle Paul's like, no, 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 your body's important because you carry the Holy Spirit. You're a freaking temple. You see, I turned it on him. It's so, so important. And so I want to give you a couple takeaways. When it comes to sexuality, when it comes to, you know, these, these people were messing up. You know, I used to read this passage that there's a group of guys in Corinthians and they just wanted to step out in their wives and they were going to visit uh, prostitutes and the Apostle Paul is saying, you can't do that. And as I started to read this, I started reading, no, this is a theological error. They had developed a whole theology and the church was not against it. The church was thinking, this is fine. 
Because they had all these beliefs about their body and it didn't matter what they did in their body because it didn't touch their spirit and they could do anything they wanted to do. The Apostle Paul was dealing with a deep theological error that affected their practice. It wasn't just a few guys wanting to go out on the town. But what about our mistakes? What about our failures? What about the the world we live in, which is full of all kinds of sin? I love this passage. Because I think it says, never stop learning. It says this, and this is in Thessalonians, another letter by the Apostle Paul to the church, but this one in Thessalonica. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means set apart for holy use. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That's the word Paul's talking about. In Greek, it's pornea, and it has a huge range of adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, has all these, this semantic range within sexual immorality. He goes, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God. And, and I love that he uses the word learn. Because so many times people believe that when you become a Christian, it's like you wave the magic wand and all of a sudden you're like, you know, I used to believe like in a Christian nirvana. I really did. I used to say, someday I'm just never going to have a bad thought. You know that? Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to achieve the Yoda status of Christianity I, I really believed this in my head. And, and then I had to realize, uh, you know, to, uh, it comes usually through failure. Like, hey, I've been a Christian this long and I haven't hit Yoda status yet. And, and you're like, oh, the goal is to not stop learning. So if you've failed, if you've messed up, there is a, there's a restart button that God is placed within the very faith he gave us. And, and that restart button is there. The, the, the word is repentance. It's, it's, it's turning to God. That you don't, we don't have to stay in our sin. And some of you are like, no, no, I'm in the LD class. Okay, it's okay. I was too, okay? Like, some of us are slow learners, right? But it doesn't matter. You can be a slow learner. You just have to be a learner. It might take you more time to get there than the guy next to you, but you're still going to get there through the same method of turning to Christ. Turning to Christ. Stay a learner. Ask forgiveness. Keep turning back to God. And let me tell you, if you're, whatever you're dealing with, I mean, some of the things he talked about were, you know, we have Alcoholics Anonymous. They have, they have essay groups. They have a sexual addiction. They have all these also support groups. I tell people, you know what? Try, try going to a good counselor if you're stuck working on something. May, try maybe a 12-step group if you're stuck working on something. That's why we, we have a few 12-step groups in the church. Uh, I say, try accountability. You know, find a good Christian friend. Tell them what your struggle is and say, pray for me. Pray for me. I remember a woman years ago who, who had been a lifelong pot smoker. And, and nowadays, you know, like, yeah, whatever, okay. And, uh, and she came to Christ. And she says, I gave up marijuana, but I'm so bored. 
And uh, I said to her, I go, well, what did you replace it with? Nothing. I go, hey, you got a Bible. Did you ever try reading it? No. I go, well, why don't you read the Bible when you're bored? Okay. And she, God started filling her. I mean, it was just this lovely, honest conversation where someone came to Christ. They, I, didn't, I didn't tell them you need to give this up. The Spirit of God did. But they couldn't figure out what to put in its place. And so she started to put the Word of God in its place. We got to keep learning. We got to keep growing. Never stop learning. Okay, let's go to another takeaway from this. Um, remember, we hold a biblical sexual ethic with grace and truth. So many times, people in the church want to see the world, the people outside the church, as their enemy, and they're not your enemy. They're not your enemy. These are, these are people, just like the Corinthians, the people outside the church were not their enemy. They believed different things. They lived different values. The Apostle Paul was inviting people into new creation, into this baby church, trying to teach them to live not like the culture around them. And think how difficult that would be. I mean, for generations, they... Infidelity was just a part of every relationship. For generations, excessive drinking and drunkenness and all this stuff, they, this is just what they did. And, and he's saying, come on and be a part of new creation. Reestablish some different ways of living. But we hold a biblical sexual ethic with grace and truth. You know, it said right there that for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I remember when I came to this church, I asked people to read a book, and it, and it helped, and I asked our leaders to read a book, uh, teaching that we need to create environments of grace and relationships of grace. And what do I mean by that? I mean by that is, you know, I always use the illustration of AA. You got a guy that's been 30 years sober, falls off the wagon, shows up at an AA group. You know what they're going to say? They're not going to go, I can't believe it, 30 years, and you blew it. They're going to, come on, brother, day one, let's go. Come on, brother, day one. And it, it's, it's that ethos, it's that grace that creates an environment for all of us that's the best environment for us to grow. So come on, let's go. Let's grow. It doesn't deny truth. What you did is you messed up. No, it doesn't deny truth, uh, but we grow. And so when we're, when we're talking about a biblical sexual ethic, we're talking about an ethic that Christ is inviting us into. It's an ethic that you don't get just because you're saved. It's an ethic that you have to learn. And sometimes it means failure in different ways. But it's a learned way of behavior that brings joy to your heart and joy to God. We hold it with grace and truth. And then I love this one, the body. I called it yours, mine, and ours. How about that one? How about, if you're a follower of Jesus, whose body is it? Wow, I hear whispers. Jesus, Jesus. But, but is it? But is it? 
Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And by his power, remember we talked about this, God would raise the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us up. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And so when the Apostle Paul was talking about this to the church and saying to these people that were going to visit prostitutes, he's like, you can't come under the authority. God, you cannot bring Christ under the authority of a prostitute. You can't do that. Never. It doesn't work. You can't unite that. Because you're God's temple. And so very clearly this passage says that you've been bought with a price, that your body is God's body, right? I'm like, I don't know. Help Doesn't feel like God's body feels a lot like mine. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> so, so. Um, so, okay, yours meaning God's, all right? We see that in this passage, right? Honor God with your body because he bought us. But the Bible also speaks of it as your body. I didn't put the passage up here, but Romans 12, uh, 1 says, uh, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So he's saying, okay, you've got a body and you have the ability to do something with it. Therefore, offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. Years ago when I was a young believer, it was really funny. Someone goes, yeah, the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. And I thought, amen to that. And uh, so you have your body. And then I put ours because, you know, in our culture, we talk about, like, marriage, where they have yours, mine, and ours, you know, and they, oh, you have nine children. Oh, yeah, we had four from the first marriage, and then I brought four, and then we had someone ourselves. And, but it's important to see the together aspect, that your body is God's body. Your body is also your body, that he enables you and I to, to say, I want to bring this body to Jesus as a living sacrifice. And so in many ways, you could talk of it as, our body. Lord, this is our body together. And the cool thing about our body is it doesn't just stop with my body. Look around the room. And turn around and look at people. Just make everybody uncomfortable. Look at people. Come on. Turn around. Look. 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 Come on. Keep doing it. Look around the room. Hi, online. You can look at us looking at each other. I don't know. Why did I do that? Because when the Apostle Paul also speaks of our body, he talks about us. And there's something that when we talk about our body and we are united with Jesus, we're together with this body. And not just Christ the King Vineyard Church. We are united spiritually with the body of Christ all over the world. And there's even a thing that goes well, never mind, past and future. It's, a, it's an amazing concept. But, so part of your holiness is because you are the body of Jesus. 
That's why the Apostle Paul started that argument. How are you taking this out of the church and you're having them settle it? Don't you see? Don't you see? You're the body of Christ. There should be something better. And we're going we're gonna to wrap this up by going to the Lord's table. And what I, what I love about the Lord's table, it takes us back to the place where he bought us. He bought us. And the idea in this passage is, is you and I were shackled. We were slaves to sin. We were handcuffed and busted. And we needed someone to bust us out of jail. We were slaves. And the only way we could be free is if someone could pay the price for the sin. And the Apostle Paul said, you have been bought with a price, the death of Christ. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So let's pray together, and I'm going to give anybody an opportunity to receive Christ that wants to. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you've been here for 10 times and, and you've never surrendered your heart to Christ. You've never encountered God the Holy Spirit. And, you, and there's an invitation in light of the death of Christ to give God yourself. It's a simple prayer. We pray it by just saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I receive you as my leader, my Lord, my Savior. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I want to follow you. You pray a simple prayer like that, and it's life-changing. The direction of your life shifts towards following God. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess when we read the sixth chapter of Corinthians, it, we read it through the lens of 2,000 years of Christian influence. And it's hard sometimes not to see political battles in there and what's happening contemporary. But what we do see now, Lord, is you're calling us to live differently. calling us to live as your people in light of the forgiveness in light of the holiness that you've given us I pray for those who are for the first time saying okay I want to start learning I've been stuck in a rut and I need help you may be battling an addiction and the spirit of God is, is saying get help get help Maybe you're just battling a, uh, some kind of besetting sin and you've never talked about it. And the Spirit of God is saying, find a trusted Christian friend and share it. Share it. Lord, we just thank you that you have bought us. We thank you that we can be forgiven. And we, we start by just saying, Lord, all of us, after becoming followers of you, have fallen short in our thoughts, our words, and our actions.
by things we've done and things we've left undone. And Lord, we're sorry. We want a fresh start today. We want a restart. We want to come to this table and push the restart. For on the night that you were betrayed, you took bread. And after giving thanks, you broke it and you said, take and eat that this is my body which has been given for you. Do this and remember me. And in the same way, you took a cup. You said, this cup is the new covenant and my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. And when you do this, remember me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the very death of Jesus until he comes.